Bing bong back with another edition of the state of Bitcoin podcast where I did a little bit of a road game this time on the Canadian Bitcoiners podcast. And I was joined by obviously the hosts Joey and Len and SB from the Woke Antidote podcast. We did another edition of the chat. I think we're going to start doing these once a quarter. So be on the lookout for that. Let us know what you think. Check it out on their feed as well. Stream it on everything multiple times and what have you. But we went into a few different Bitcoin related topics and macro topics and some of the worries that all of us have going forward uh, and gave a little bit of our opinions. But at the end of the day, we're all still very bullish on that orange pill. But as always, ladies and gents, it's not financial advice, so please do not take it as such. And before we get into this episode, I have a, a cause that's pretty close to my heart. I am in Tampa, Florida. Uh, I mentioned this a couple times throughout the episode, but the people in Southwest Florida, a couple hours south of me in the Fort Myers area, got hit pretty badly by Hurricane Ian. And if you guys could, or if you have anything to spare, I'm going to post in the show notes a donation link. Uh, Obviously, you know, don't need to tell me anything about how much. You can even do it anonymous, I believe. Um, You know, I'm, I'm not related to this cause in any way, shape, or form. I get nothing from it. Um, But I do know friends and family that would greatly benefit from this. So please, 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 if you have something to donate, consider donating to the victims of Hurricane Ian as they work their way out of this mess and send your thoughts and prayers to them as well. And so um, on that note, let's get into something a little bit more cheery. We'll get into the episode and look out for all these links in the show notes and let's get it rolling. Whoosh. Friends and enemies, welcome to the Canadian Bitcoiners podcast on the CBP Media Network. Today we got a special episode with three of our group chat participants that Len and I uh, talk to every day, sometimes more days than others actually, but uh, or sometimes more on certain days than others. But always a good discussion with these fine fellas, lots of expertise, lots of information and uh, a broad view of Bitcoin markets, macro, politics, all these different things. So we're going to uh, we're going to strap in here for about an hour and a half, hour hour something like that and talk about a wide range of subjects. I asked everyone to bring a topic and then I I broke it to these guys about 5 minutes ago that I actually don't have one because I've been so busy today. So we'll see how this goes. Let's bring in uh, the guest one at a time here. We got SB of Volcano Fame sir. How are you? Uh do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself before uh, I kick it to our next guest? Yes, so very, very big thanks for having me on here. I am one half of the Woke Inado podcast, SB Stocks Bro, as we call ourselves. And yeah, I, I work in investments. I love chatting uh, Bitcoin, but as well as macro stuff with all these guys that we're listening to today. And I think you guys are killing it. Canadian Bitcoiners on the rise, just some dynamite interviews lately. So everybody, if you, if you haven't listened to that, if you're listening to this because you're woke fans check out this pod putting out great stuff we appreciate it sb you got your mic sounded great before the show started and now it sounds like you're about to sabotage Nord Stream too so see uh, that's my that's my ask this this is better 
right? Yeah, the, the, I don't I don't know. The other one the other one might have been better. Try again right now. No, yes, maybe, possibly. It's underwater. You're underwater. I, you're I, I I yeah, I'm listening to uh this is a live look at the Nord Stream 2 sabotage coming up. You'll see it, you'll see this on the Bloomberg terminal pretty soon, All I right, think. So I was Biden, I was Biden for a while. Now that's okay, how's that then? It's still it's still bad. <laughs> business, business on air because it sounded great before the show and now it sounds like i like you're scuba diving we record woke on this so it should be good this is not good we got a problem okay sb's gonna sb's gonna gonna troubleshoot it brandon's here from green candle it i still don't know what it stands for i say green candle investments when i write the tweets about coming on your show or when you come on our show well what's going on who are you yeah, I'm Brandon uh, Green Candle. Yeah, Green Candle IT on Twitter. I think I was trying to do um, Green Candle or something like Green Candle Investment, something like that, but it was uh, taken or too long. And so I just put IT to kind of fill it in there because, uh, yeah, I didn't want to do any underscores or anything like that. But yeah, uh, host of the State of Bitcoin podcast, Macro Inside podcast, got some spaces, YouTube, uh, newsletter, all that jazz. Um, but before we get ripping, I am in Florida for those who have been following me or maybe know a little bit about me. I'm in the Tampa area, which luckily wasn't affected that drastically. Um, but, you know, a few hours south of me in Fort Myers area, I got hit pretty hard by Hurricane Ian. And I have a lot of friends that have family and others, you know, down there that I know that have been affected by the hurricane. So um, I'm going to shoot you guys a referral link or like a donation link. Um, maybe we could put it in the show notes or tweet it out or something like that. But, you know, before we get get it going, and I know it's a great show and I'm really excited to get get it ripping with the chat and everything like that. Um, if anybody has anything to spare, uh, you know, feel free. Um, I know that I will be passing that along and I'm sure you guys will put it in the show notes and all that kind of stuff. But if you send it to me right now, I'll put it in the chat, too, so that uh, people can donate as they watch if they want, if, if that's something that they want to do. It is a good cause, man. Like Florida. It's it's a lot of destruction, man. We just had a pretty good hur uh, hurricane here on the east coast of Canada as well. So a lot going on. If you're looking for a cost to donate to, Brandon will hook that up. And uh, yeah, man, it's good to have you on. And then, of course, my uh, co-host, conciliary colleague, uh, friend, needs no introduction, really, Len, uh, from the basement. What's up there, buddy? How are you? Yeah, thank you. First time caller, long time listener. Um, uh, thank you for inviting me to the show. Um, I just want to say you you and your partner there do a great job on this show. So it's good to be part of it and uh, to be just, you know, amongst some really great guests here. So fantastic. I love it. And uh, we're going to rock and roll today. I love it. Okay. Uh, well, why don't we introduce maybe the uh, this, the the format for today, let's call it, which uh, we will be following very loosely because I, as I mentioned, uh, didn't get a topic myself. We're going to try and go similar to why are we bullish, except a lot shorter. One of us will give a topic. We'll talk about it a bit. Everyone else will riff on it. We'll see where the conversation goes. Then we'll cut and go to another topic. I uh, suggest that since SB is maybe still troubleshooting his mic, I'm not sure. Len, do you have a topic? Do you want to lead? I can if you want. Let's do it. All right. So mine is going to be very Canada-centric. So apologies for all the people here that are attending from the United States or around the world and also people listening from around the world and outside of Canada. But for my thing that I want to talk about how bullish I am, how much Bitcoin really makes me, you know, happy in the morning is, well, in Canada, I'm going to just talk about, we have two parties here, two parties that have ever governed in Canada federally. And one of the two parties 
the opposition party have has just elected a new leader and his name is Pierre Polyev. He's made some some headway in the world of Bitcoin. And if you're going to look at it, Pierre Polyev, he actually stands a decent chance to become prime minister of Canada. And it's not just because uh, the polling or whatever. It's just because really it's going to be either he or Justin Trudeau because Canada has only elected party A or party B. So based on that, Pierre Polyev has a decent, better than zero chance that becoming prime minister after the next election, which could, could be any time in the next three years. And I don't want to make this very political, uh, but during the time a few months ago, Polyev, he was talking about Bitcoin. And when he talked about it, well, at that point, Bitcoin entered into the realm of Canadian politics. And it's even being talked about in the hallowed halls of House of Commons here in Canada. And granted, they're using Bitcoin to make Polyev look bad as the time he was touting it as an alternative currency to the Canadian dollar, while well, Bitcoin has dropped considerably since then in terms of the price. But regardless of the price, there's no doubt that something is here. Like you could look at it, and this is something that is unbacked. Sorry, it's it's something that's not unbacked, like like what well, is unbacked, but it's it doesn't have any central bank behind it. So it, what it is is collectively it's decentralized and it is free from central banks meddling and the political policies that are that pretty much screw up all, all currencies in the world. And it's for these reasons that, you know, if you look at it, central banks, their decisions throughout the past couple of years and government policy in the past couple of years basically solidified how much fiat currency sucks. And, you know, we've got to find some alternative. You can look at the fact that the U.S., they just surpassed $31 trillion in debt. <laughs> That's an extraordinary lump, number in Canada's probably not in a better shape. We just passed $1 trillion in debt not too long ago. And this considering that our population is around 38 million, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, like one around there. Million, right? so, do the numbers. It's, it's pretty shitty. Mm -hmm. But back to my point, Bitcoin is now, there's a shining light on it. And it's there's a light shining in it. And it's sh shining a light for all the wrong reasons of the current financial system. And the light probably would have been shone on the system, even if Bitcoin wasn't in the picture. But the fact that it's here, it's now there's a stronger light that is showing out there. And there's now potentially life after the current financial system that will collapse. And it's, it will collapse. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And when that happens, well, there's going to be some sort of transition, hopefully, towards using Bitcoin. So we have now in Canada, Bitcoin in the House of Commons, it's being talked about on a daily basis. And this kind of lends some legitimacy towards it. And I believe that the people that are just talking about it and trying to raise doubts about it, they're fearful. They're feel for, fearful of the numbers that are behind it. They're fearful, fearful of change. <laughs> and we're fearful <laughs> of losing control. Joey. <laughs> Hopefully people can still hear me. But watching this whole thing unfold, it's absolutely incredible. Bitcoin has finally entered into the world of politics in Canada. It's going to happen to the rest of the world. Mark my words, it's slowly transitioning in the United States. We have Senator Cynthia Lummis talking about it. But en masse, this is something that's going to take hold in all G7 countries. I can't believe we're talking about it right now in Canada. And this is awesome. I love to hear it. Can't hear you. You're muted. Wow. Production quality today, absolutely through the roof. Uh, don't you think it's weird that Polyev uh, is completely backing away from Bitcoin? 
sort of in his media appearances. And the only the only cold other cold water I'd pour on what you say, because I think it's good they're talking about Bitcoin in the House of Commons, but it is a constant attack vector. Like if you listen to him and Freeland go tete a tete, it, she always closes with, if he had, you know, if every Canadian put their money in Bitcoin, like they'd be out of money or whatever, right? They would have gone broke or lost 50% or whatever. Um, is that a problem you think? Is it good or bad? Bullish, not bullish? Like, I, I don't know really what it is. I don't know. We, we like we talk on our show all the time about how how messaging works, especially in, a, in the political realm, like whether or not you're really hitting anyone who doesn't already agree with you when you give sound bites like that. You care at all then? Like, what do you make of that? No, it's it's in one ear and out the other. And they're talking about this. Betting on Bitcoin is a bet against the Canadian dollar. And if that is going to be the talking point that they're going to want to use, I want them to be open and transparent with their investments. And should any of them have any investment in anything outside Canada, they too are betting against the Canadian dollar. And they are all hypocrites. And I suspect one of them, perhaps all of them, have some investments outside of Canada, be it homes, be it equities, be it whatever. And if that's the case, betting on Bitcoin is truly a fine, no problems with it, because we're just simply hedging our bets against the Canadian dollar, just like they would be hedging their bets against the Canadian dollar when they buy a home outside Canada, or Apple stock, or Amazon stock, or whatever it is. So I have, that goes in one year, out the other. On the road to getting banned here at the Canadian Bitcoiners podcast, Brandon. Uh, for the American contingent here, what do you uh, what do you say? Yeah, well, I, let's back it up for a second because I got a few questions about like you know because it seems like everybody globally kind of pays attention to the American political race, so everybody kind of has a general understanding as to when the elections are that kind of stuff. So I mean, I'm I'm seeing I saw Polyev like kind of all over Twitter. Maybe I don't know, like you said, like four or five months ago, maybe it was. And it seems like he's kind of toned it down and I don't really see him around Twitter too much. Uh, so when's the election actually occurring? Like, how does this all work? And, uh, you know, when's is this just kind of like primary stuff or is, uh, you know, just just walk walk me through it as a dumb American that doesn't know anything about the great white north. Explaining our system is hilarious. Like the, when's the election happen? Don't know. No one does. Uh, is this like a primary? Not really. But we did pick a new leader for one party. Uh, I don't know, Len, how would you explain the the election cycle here? It's very much untethered to any schedule, that's for sure. Yeah, so it's maximum four years from the previous election. And it could happen any time before that should there not be consensus within House of Commons. So it's uh, that's your election cycle. It's four years, or it could be less than four years, depending is if you have consensus with the elected officials. And yeah, so we don't have any primaries. Some people have voted Poliev to be the leader of the uh, official opposition party. And we're basically, we have everything aligned. All the chess pieces are, are on the board, ready to be, to be played. We're just waiting for an election to be called. Could be in three years, it could be tomorrow. Three years from tomorrow, I feel like that's a very large spread and and a lot could change in that time. So, like, I guess, you know, if the election was tomorrow, what's the general, I guess, consensus that you think around Canada? Because it seems like, you know, from an outsider looking in, like everybody doesn't really like Trudeau. But then you go on to some other like, you know, maybe the, the Reddit spaces and it seems like everybody's backing Trudeau. I don't know if it's the bots or what, um, but I mean... I like what's the overall general consensus there as of right now? Oh man. Um, I think that, uh, I think that an impartial, 
ear to the pavement political analyst would say that Polyev is the front runner right now by, you know, I don't know. What do you think, Len? Is it arm's length? Probably not quite arm's length. The, our, our races generally are always pretty close. The only downside, Brandon, is in terms of like, you know, who would win an election is the conservative party doesn't really align with the third party in the country, the NDP. Uh, and so oftentimes you see this sort of official or unofficial coalition between the liberals and the NDP who are even further to the left than, than our reds. Um, it, it's hard to say, honestly, you know, who's the most popular leader. I think, I think without a doubt, it's probably Pierre right now, but like we've talked about before, Alain, there's usually a bump when a new leader gets chosen, there's some enthusiasm and, and the support of that, you know, new man or woman at the helm it shows in, in polling. The question is, you know, is that polling going to hold for two years? I don't know. Two years is a long time to poke holes. Two years is a lot of Twitter sound bites that Pierre and his team got to come up with, right? It's a lot of social media hits. It's a lot of House of Commons question period, a lot of media. It's, it's easy to poke holes in someone that's been around that long. He's still pretty new. So to Len's earlier point, you know, like, is there going to be an election tomorrow? No, there could be, but Justin Trudeau for for the you know real or perceived faults that the man and, and the party has. Uh he's a three-time champion, man. You, you gotta take, you know, you gotta take the crown off the king if you wanna if you wanna win. And you don't get that crown that many times without having a little bit of savvy, uh, either having that savvy yourself or having that savvy around you. So let's see. I don't know. I, I think Len, you, you know, do you think Polyev's the kind of odds on favorite today? I think he probably is. What what, what do you think? Yeah, there's the honeymoon period that is experienced once and a leader is elected for the party, a new leader is elected in the party. And we're currently experiencing that honeymoon phase. Um, it won't take very long for this to run its course and then they'll go back to where they find their equilibrium. Probably it's going to be a neck and neck race between Polyev's party and Trudeau's party should an election happen within the next, I mean, outside the next 30 days. As we transition for moving forward, though, one thing that's going to be noticeable is more and more people are, are going to feel a pinch in Canada and the rest of the world that their dollar is not going to be stretched as far. And generally, when you have that scenario, people tend to punish the governing party. So in this case, Trudeau, the longer this thing lasts, I think that he's probably going to want to pull the pin on this and launch an election sooner rather than later. Because if this goes too long, people are just going to be too upset, given the fact that everything is costing much, much more. And if so, the sooner rather than later, I think it's a 50-50 shot between to see who wins. But one thing is for certain, and it's not just this election. It's every election I've seen for the past 30 years, maybe longer. Canada is divided. The Conservative Party, I know it's the Reform Party and what is what it is, but they're still Western. They're centralized in the West. Like that is their base. The Liberal Party, some in BC, a lot out east, Ontario a lot, and sometimes Quebec a lot. And so really, it's, it's a divided country in terms of support, which is unfortunate. But there's one thing that, and this I don't want to make this totally political, this is the first time the Conservative Party has had a leader from the east since Mulroney. So it's been a long time since we had this the type east. of so, so So breakdown, in Canada... You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily call Ontario the East, but, it, you know, typically you're right, Len. Conservatives have a leader from Alberta, basically. Uh, you know, and so this is the easternmost a leader has, has hailed from in a long time, I think, right? When was the last time they had a leader from Ontario? Was Stockwell Day a provincial? He was provincial, right? No, he was federal. He led the Reform Party 
Yeah. Or the Alliance Party. Sorry, it was the Alliance at that time. I thought that and, was the conservative. Wasn't that the conservative equivalent in the late nineties, mid nineties? I thought it was. So it's just it's a lineage of, and then they merged between the Progressive Conservative Party and the um, Alliance at that time, and it became the CPC. Now this is becoming very political software. <laughs> I'm going to bore the fuck out of a lot of these Canadians, these Americans here. My apologies, but yeah, it is what it is. I mean, we have Poliev. He's the most Eastern leader for the the. Conservative Party for a very, very long time. What about what O'Toole? Boomer in the chat saying O'Toole was from Ontario. Was he? I thought not, but maybe you're right. You're right. I mean, he's maybe he's maybe the worst conservative no. party leader of the last uh you know Boomer, Boomer's right. He was like in Kingston area, like somewhere just east of the GTA. Yeah. And Peterborough or something like that. It's yeah. Between but, Toronto, it's been between Toronto, Toronto and Ottawa, basically, Kingston. Yeah. So yeah. I I stand mis- I'm mistaken on that, but really this is generally unheard of to have this is you know everybody else was out west and yeah it, we're just you know it's it's just a, a changing of the guard it looks like they're they don't want to have anybody else yeah, this is what we want that's what we want to hear man uh brandon's got one more question then we're going to kick to sb for uh comment now that he's uh come up from his dive brandon go ahead sir all right so um you know i you've said a little bit about trudeau and like their party kind of attacking bitcoin but uh you know i guess because of this variable of when is the election actually going to occur, doesn't it kind of worry you that now that they're talking about Bitcoin like every single day that they're going to try to, you know, come down hard potentially and make some big regulations around Bitcoin, whether the election is, you know, maybe a couple years down the road or what? Like, I, to me personally, that seems like that would be number one attack vector to kind of come at Polyev is make some serious strict regulations around Bitcoin, Bitcoin companies and all that kind of stuff um, to try to, I guess, like deter one of their, one of his big points and one of his big selling points. Well, I'll tell you, it's already hard for a Bitcoin podcast in this country. uh, As, as we've talked about a few times, I think if you're the thing I'd be cautious about, and this is how I know that our government at the moment doesn't really pay that much attention to Bitcoin perhaps or economics given the lens here uh if if they really tie or force polyev to tie his wagon to bitcoin and they don't have their election until after the next halving cycle um you know if the price rips to 100k what's the plan i, I this is why i think someone in the liberal party i mean there's that kid who's got the blue check mark on twitter who you see floating around in these bitcoin spaces i can't remember his name but he works for the, the liberal government oh, yeah yeah, and so there's, there are people at, like, you know, somewhere in the medium uh, tranches, you know, medium power level, medium influence level of that government who at least pay attention to Bitcoin and presumably know, you know, the past behavior of Bitcoin around having cycles. I can't imagine that they would ever go that far, given the price volatility moves in both directions, unfortunately for them. Now, about the regulation, like, honestly, Brandon, uh, this is my opinion. I don't know if, Len, you feel the same way. If Canada did that, like people would just go to the States. Half the people I know want to go to the States anyway. I want to go to the States. I don't know if Len wants to go to the States, but like if I didn't have a job up here and like, you know, some roots, I would already be gone, right? If I convinced my wife over a bottle of wine to go, I'd be gone tomorrow. And I think a lot of Canadians are at least thinking similar way, a similar way. Uh, if, if, if law started being passed here that Im- impacted my investing, impacted my way of life, impacted my freedoms, like, I really wouldn't think that hard about leaving. Um, I don't know about you, Len. What do you think? I think there's a potential that the hammer could drop on Bitcoin mining. And that's really 
the low-hanging fruit given the environment we're in. And they're always talking about trying to use less carbon and trying to trying to save energy. So if you look at Bitcoin mining, it's very it's very hungry for electricity. And you could look at the state of New York where they instituted a proof of work ban, at least for new um, new um, Bitcoin mining operations that are going to use carbon based power plants to power their Bitcoin mining operations. So Canada could follow suit and do the same thing. So they could anything that's already existing, grandfather it, so to speak, and anything new, they could then deal with it and see if it's something that's going to pass the test that they want to impose on them. But there's also one variable here that I just want to throw in. We talked about a story this past week, and there was there is an indigenous uh, group of people in Quebec. Um, they have applied to the province of Quebec to get more energy sent to their area. And what they're trying to do with this is try to use that extra energy to mine Bitcoin so they could earn some a way to you know and generate some wealth. And the way Canada treats indigenous people, and we try to do it in such a way because we respect the history and so forth. So if we see more indigenous people and groups of people try to do this as well, Bitcoin mining, I'm saying, um, it's going to be harder for the government to put anything to try to stop it. So that's it's going to be a real variable that it's got to be dealt with moving forward. I like that. SB, comments, sir. How's your mic? Let's hear. All right. Um, am I in? Amazing. You sound nice. great. Talk to me, man. Yeah. So I'm I'm just curious of, of Brandon's take on this as well. Are are we sure that uh, we're allowing Joey into the U.S.? I mean, you're, <laughs> you're just claiming that you're going to waltz over here. I don't know about what are your qualifications, sir? What are what are you offering us? Uh, I, I'm going to start a, a CrossFit gym and uh, <laughs> steal, steal from those with the low views of their their self-image. I don't know. <laughs> I run a podcast I, I called the Canadian a, Bitcoiners um, Podcast. Detailed application, and uh, I think even Canadian Bitcoiners Podcast that could be a negative. That could be looked upon <laughs> by the branded administration as a negative. So I think you got to be very careful here. Amen. What if you which claim visa do I need? One A, one B, one C. Which one is it? I forget. I, I've looked into this in the past. I don't know which one I need. Well, you're going to need a, a little bit more than what you got right now. So we'll uh, <laughs> we'll save that for a later time. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm happy to start out with my topic here. Um, I did bring one, unlike the show host. So, <laughs> so my topic is just just generally retirement. That and that's what I'm going with because I I want to you know break this down. Our parents' generation, what do they have to retire? Pension. They've got Social Security. These are both in times that inflation was not inflating everyday goods 25% plus. A couple periods here and there of high inflation. I don't think it's like what we have today. They had the start of 401ks. They had affordable homes. They had bigger families where, okay, you can have your kids help you. If you have a lot of kids, they make some money. The successful ones, you can live with them. They can help you out. And somewhere along the way, and this wasn't by choice, the American populace was forced into the collective decision to we're getting rid of pensions and we're putting you into 401ks. And what essentially that has meant is that the in order to retire, U.S. bonds and U.S. equities have, have, have had to have done extremely well because what these planners are going to put you in is the 60-40 portfolio. Everybody knows that. And if you don't, 
It's 60% equities, 40% bonds. And the idea is that when the economy is doing well, equities do well. When the economy is not doing well, bonds are a safe haven, uh, bonds do well. The problem is that this was decided on in the 70s and 80s when tr U.S. Treasury bonds risk-free rate was 10% plus, high-yield bonds 15% plus, great companies like Microsoft and IBM giving you returns that we can't even dream about um, in 2022 for these bonds. And so what's happened is that in 2022, as this experiment essentially has come to a close, the 60-40 portfolio is down 20 to 25% this year. Because what happened, the economy is in a recession, if not a depression, and bonds are getting smoked because inflation is completely out of control because we printed all this money. And so the problem with if you're a boomer and you're looking at this, you've done everything right in your life. You've talked to the financial planners for two decades from age 40 to 60. They've told you this is the correct move to do. You got scared in 08, but you, know, you recovered from that. Now you can't retire, and, and that's a shock in somebody's life. Either you can't retire or the, the life that you thought you were going to have in your wonder years and your later years is now different. It's worse. So I think that's going to shock a lot of people, and I think plenty of us have gotten shocked over the past five years for various reasons, politically and the media-wise, whatever. It's going to shock people into looking more into this and understanding Oh, maybe there's something else. And then, oh, what's what's this here? Fidelity. Hmm. They're offering Bitcoin in retirement. What is this Bitcoin thing? Uh, Rick Edelman, Peter Schiff are talking Bitcoin. Interesting. Um, I'm, I'm watching Tucker Carlson tonight, the most watched show on, on Fox News, the most watched show on cable. Tucker's talking with Michael Saylor. So you start hearing all, all these things. And you're open to it when you've had that shock. You're not open to it before because you weren't open to it when Bitcoin was 69K and it went to 20K and you made in fun of all those millennials and Zoomers that got destroyed. You weren't open to it then, but at the same time, you were holding Netflix. You were holding Meta that went from 350 to 150 and Netflix went from 700 to 180. So you got screwed too. It wasn't just Bitcoin that benefited from all this QE nonsense. It was high growth tech stocks, which what do you know are in your 60-40 portfolio, even if you didn't know that before. So you know, broadly, that is the boomer perspective. Obviously, people younger, they're going to see a lot of this before they're older. They're going to understand that they don't have a retirement unless they have a plan B from what they're currently doing. Yeah, you can max out your 401k. You can hope the markets do well, but anybody counting on that and anybody counting on social security, you're toast. You can't, you can't count on that. You need something else. So the, the bullishness that I have is a every single generation, it's going to be different by, by age group, but there is going to be a yearning for you know, first, why am I getting screwed and why don't I have a retirement plan and how do we even get into this environment? And then second, oh, what could potentially fix that? So it's the problem. It's ha the problems happened. I'm more am amenable to a solution. I'm hearing about potential solutions and, you know, not everybody, maybe not 50%, but increasingly every cycle, more and more people are going to get this. And 
you know, for people out there that say the price doesn't matter, BS, the price always matters because the price is a reflection of how successful this venture is. Now, granted, it can be volatile, but we know that the higher the price is, the more attention it gets. And the more attention it gets, the more people are going to be open to potentially investing in it and seeing what it is and seeing that the non-QE, non-fiat Austrian point of view makes sense. And if you agree with that, you want sound money, you're probably going to go with Bitcoin over some of the other stuff. So generally, all that to say, the destruction of retirement in the United States is a massive positive for Bitcoin, in my opinion. Unreal. That A man after my own heart. I, I talked about the Canadian pensions being like... Insolvent is honestly too kind of term. It's certainly, like you mentioned there, I think boomers and just you know retirees in general have a view on what their golden years are going to look like. In no small part, by the way, uh, uh, because of the commercials that Fidelity and Bridgewater and all these other companies run of the two, you know, uh, active sixty-year-olds frolicking through lilac meadows and uh, you know, it, honest to God, like the only difference I think between erectile dysfunction advertisements and retirement savings advertisements is the logo at the end of the show, right? They all, they both have side effects that you might not be aware of when you hop in. And, uh, in both cases, you're likely to see a, um, you know, a pensioner in a clawfoot tub overlooking uh, a beautiful Vista in Italy uh, at some point during the ad. So I, I, I'm totally with you, man. I think that there's, um, there's a problem with pensions. I don't know. What do you guys think? Len, Brandon, who wants to go first? Well, I got a I got a question for you guys because isn't uh you know I just kind of thought of this isn't the Canadian pension didn't they invest pretty heavily into Celsius Network wasn't that uh it, it wasn't <laughs> the Canadian pension just the Quebec pension just the okay Quebec pension. but still yeah. I mean like is that go, is that whole debacle going to cause like some worry about this like for not really plans? not 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 really but to your point. Uh, and another thing we mentioned on Monday's show is that if you look at the CPP book, by the way, the CPP is the Canadian pension plan, publicly funded, everyone pays into the CPP from the moment they start earning money. So generally speaking, if you want to hear about like the Canadian tax breakdown, you basically pay into EI, your CPP, union, and your tax, right? So you you might get 50% of your check in Canada, maybe, maybe a little less depending on what income bracket you're in. It's crazy high. So... The CPP is publicly funded and there's a pension uh, planning board that is, I guess, is about as transparent as you would expect <clears throat> for an organization like that. And they put out on their website the sort of quarter over quarter numbers. We were down about, uh, what was it, Len? $5 billion, $5 billion last quarter, I forget. It was like a significant drop. And they have on there some of the stuff they're proudest of. And so to your point about Celsius, if, if, this, if the Quebec pension fund is investing in Celsius, you may ask, well, what else is the Quebec pension fund invested in? Like what else has the, the wave not gone out on yet to find, uh, you know, naked swimmers, probably a bunch of shit. And if, if you look at the CPP, they have a big thing on there about, uh, investing in this company, octopus energy in the UK, they're doing green energy. If you go on the octopus Twitter, uh, account, they're talking about subsidies and giving people free money that comes from the UK government. These companies are all being propped up by Ponzi after Ponzi, even better. Uh, SP, I don't know if you know this or not for the States, but here, all the federally regulated pension funds have to have a Canadian bond allocation by law. So when you factor that in, you're talking about printing money to buy bonds to give back to people. And then when they spend that money, more of that money goes to prop up the bond market in Canada and on and on the Ponzi goes. Is it similar in the States or no? 
I, I do not know that, but that reminded me of something I also wanted to talk about with, with this fiat world where we did an episode on this and we've talked in the group chat where our opinion on the woke is that college has been such a wealth transfer from the middle class to the elites because you're paying now it's 300 grand to go to college and what the college is doing with that money, you know, they have a high margin on that. They're not doing that much in terms of, uh, you know, actually hiring more professors. You can look at their stats. They don't do that. They're throwing that into their allocate. They're throwing that into their uh, funds. And then they're giving that money to private equity and hedge funds. And so then the private equity and hedge funds, they go out and they underperform the S&P 500. They do 7 to 10% a year, but they're getting paid tens or hundreds of millions of dollars a year from these top colleges. So that's, it's a transfer of wealth. And that factors into my retirement conversation as well, where that's another thing people are saving for now where, okay, you, 20 years ago, you thought you'd have a great retirement and you'd send both kids to college. If you now you're, you're left with that choice, it's the two choices meme. If I want to send my kids to a good college to set them up, I can't retire. And if I want to retire, I'm going to feel bad because either I'm going to have them take out crazy student loans, go to a worse school. I'm just setting them, them up for a worse uh, opportunity in life. And so I don't like the fact that, I feel like it's a wealth transfer. And then I also feel like pensions are the same thing. They're the wealth transfer where, you know, in your case, you're talking about them buying bonds. But what I've seen in the U.S. is that so many of these um, pension funds, it's pretty much all hedge funds and equities. Maybe it's not 100 percent, but it's it's increasingly moving towards that because they want to diversify away from bonds and equities and they want to get the higher return. Well, it's the same situation. It's middle class people working paying into a pension because they think they're going to get taken care of in the future. And it's being paid to hedge funds and private equity people. So it's just, it's just a colossal mess. I don't, I'm not expecting everybody to be in the weeds like this because I work here, I work in this and I understand it. But if you can even scratch 10% of the surface, you're going to say, maybe it's time for something else because I've been fooled and retiring was a scam. So yeah, it's just, it's just the whole fiat system collapses under any scrutiny we just got to get people to get a little bit of scrutiny at first len comments sir i just want to go back to the 401ks and the reliance for that for funding your golden years and yeah as we talked about it like there's so much wealth was wiped off the books in the past nine months or so that's putting a lot of pressure on people that are, are currently retired or probably wanting to retire. So they're going to have to adjust their plans moving forward. And I'm wondering, given that, what is going to be the likelihood of them even considering Bitcoin? It'd probably be the furthest thing from their mind at this point, because really they're trying to put out fires to just make sure that they could ensure that uh, they could have a home and or at least a roof over their head and food on their plates. And Going further, you talked about Fidelity offering Bitcoin. That, that's, that was a big move because then it triggered BlackRock. I think BlackRock soon offered Bitcoin to their clients, or at least their institutional clients, one or the other. Um, it's not going to be long before you see other big banks like Bank of America and others follow suit because it, it's tit for tat. If, if one is going to be offering a suite of services, the others are going to have to do it as well because really you're, they're just trying to fight for the same customer. And they don't want to lose them to their competitor. It'll fight tooth and nail. And I do have a question for you, SB. With respect to Social Security, what Social Security exists 
in the United States for people that need help when they're retired, when they can't just when they can't make ends meet. Oh, it's not it's not enough. I mean, there it, there's no way that it's enough for the expenses and especially the medical expenses. I mean, that is that that really accelerates. And that's very fiat, too. If we want to. That's another episode. But to your first question. Um, yeah, I, t I totally agree with you. And I just I just got this email in from from some fiat bros. But one uh, one Wall Street research firm, um, literally just in 30 minutes before we recorded, pullback in retail spend creeping into the high end. So there is now credit card data that is showing that the high end is seeing spending slow down, um, high income consumer pulling back. And then it says here with the S&P 500 down 20 percent year to date, we think a sentiment shift is beginning to start at the upper end. So this is absolutely happening. I, I would agree with you that, um, and you guys have talked about this really well. Joey, I thought, had a really good point on this a couple episodes ago that, uh, yeah, you're not going to be buying Bitcoin um, when you're in financial stress. And maybe even some of the, the, old, the old school Bitcoiners, you know, if it, if it drops enough, you, you might sell it for liquidity. But I think it's, my, my thought is it's kind of more of the broad realization that the current fiat world that we have been living in it's kind of a lie. Um, and if it is a lie, are there other alternatives to pursue? And look, cl clearly people are not going to go really heavy into Bitcoin at the start. Um, that's never been the case for anyone. Like, Don't ever tell me you went 100% Bitcoin maxi with all your assets when you first heard about Bitcoin. Like That didn't happen. You, you start, you increased, you did 1%, you did 5%, you read stuff, you watched videos, you listened to stuff like this. It's going to increase. And that's why I just, you know, once the snowball's down the hill, I think we're we're great. I think Bitcoin wins. I think under any 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 introspection at all, any research is done, it makes complete sense. And that's why we're all here. But you just got to get someone started. So yeah, I'm and certainly I'm thinking more longer term than the Great Biden depression that's going to be happening over the next couple of years. <laughs> I love I love the hashtags coming out of the woke antidote Twitter account constantly attacking uh, the sitting president, which honestly I I agree with like hundred percent of the time. So interesting thing I'll I'll ask uh, SB before before we move on. Um, do, do you ever hear from people who are investing for you know the medium to long term five ten fifteen years about these sort of all weather portfolios uh, to, with, with some, um, with some traction the other day, I saw a tweet uh, about Bridgewater's all weather being down about 30% year to date. Is that a common story in, in the finance world right now that these all weather portfolios are actually not quite as all weather as they were advertising or is that uh, just a one-off? Yeah, I think that Bridgewater Histor like historically, obviously, the, the when they got their start and they were in their prime, they were killing it. Um, I think that they have had pretty bad performance relatively for the last few years, um, maybe several years. And so the question at that point is that is because is because kind of the global macro environment is so influenced by the Fed and, glo and central banks that there's really you know, it's, it's a one-way trade. As you, as you said the other day, is, is it the printer on or the printer off? It's taken away a lot of potential pair trades you can do when you're pairing things against the other because it's, it's all one trade. And I would even go back to global macro funds. You know, those were huge, certainly in the 80s and 90s with, with a Paul Tudor Jones, with a Stanley Druckenmeier or whatever. 
um, those were huge, but they were also big in the mid 2000s because they were viewed, um, you know, when 2008 happened, it was, okay, well, maybe I don't want to be in stocks. I don't want to be exposed to that. Let me gain some global macro exposure. And then what happened to that? Well, the returns were terrible because all this money went into global macro and all of a sudden those relationships that you could take advantage of previously, um, they all got arbitraged out and there was nothing to do. So I, I think broadly, the, the point is that hedge funds are not returning as much as they used to, for sure. And that's, un, that's unfortunate because that's hurting the pensioners, right? And then also private equity is so reliant on debt that when interest rates are going to be going up, if they are up for the foreseeable future, you're just not going to be able to make the returns that you used to be able to make because things that made, you know, you could take out debt at 10%. Um, five years later, you you lowered interest rates, the multiple on that company went up, and then you refied the debt at 5%, you can make a killing in terms of the equity value there. You can't do that anymore because we're at those low rates and they're going back up. So that's all that is to say that just all, all of these decade-long trades that were they were working for so long, they're just not working anymore. And so the question is, what is that next thing going to be to actually work and to help people? Or are we just totally screwed? We have a lost decade or two. And, you know, you, you're going to have to maybe, you know, hopefully not eat the bugs, but maybe not have a nice steak as much as you used to if you're not a Bitcoiner. Brandon Shambles really was hoping to get a couple of bugs down the hash there. Brandon, you want, want to comment on that? You want to go to your topic? It, the floor is yours, sir, if you want it. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think like, you know, kind of like on SB's point, there's a lot of retirement uh, accounts, whether it's 401ks, IRAs, Roth IRAs in the US, um, which I'm not sure if your Canadian audience is super familiar with, but it's basically pretty tax advantage accounts that allow you to like hold Bitcoin. Um, some of them allow you to hold your private keys, but a lot of it's like kind of paper Bitcoin. Um, which could be an issue down the road, who knows. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think it, just the more accessibility, kind of like SB was saying, is just an overall just just good for Bitcoin. And I think good for people to, that are trying to find ways to kind of get out of this you know, fiat system. Uh, I think we're seeing a lot of the retirement age kind of push back, especially, you know, people who are retiring right around this time because they had to go through 2008, which was a huge drop down. And then, you know, they went through this recent COVID crash. And with all this volatility, you know, it crashed all down during COVID, then it went back up. And then now it's crashing down and it's seemingly, you know, going to hit a big recession probably in the in the near future if we're not already in it. So, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, uh, more people are looking for ways to opt out. And I think politicians are kind of waking up to that. And that kind of brings me to my next, to, to, to my story here. If you like that transition, you know, podcast <laughs> myself. I have, I have no choice now. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the EU is uh, now sealing the text of a landmark crypto slash Bitcoin law. Um, so I'm not sure if you guys kind of saw this, but they're calling it the markets in crypto assets regulation mika for short but essentially it's a lot of negatives towards bitcoin and crypto um you know it's uh forcing exchanges to reveal identities of those making crypto payments in europe um and it's also kind of putting a lot of regulation it's essentially just like the start of a framework and what i think is like 
pretty interesting of this is it's not just a country kind of going at it. It's the entire EU. And so I think we're getting to the stage where, you know, you're, you're talked, we talked earlier about the Canadian election potentially coming up, you know, who the fuck knows because you guys have some fucked up system up there. And then the U S election coming up in the next couple of years, where I'm sure, you know, now we've had some politicians in the midterms bring up Bitcoin and some guys, uh, you know, kind of gain some popularity from that this time around. I could definitely see in the next U.S. election, the next couple years, more of those politicians start to pop up. And I think we're in a time where it's good. These next two to four years are going to be very, very interesting when it comes to regulation around Bitcoin and Bitcoin companies. And that's not just in specific countries. I think it's globally because we're seeing now like, you know, the EU fully banding together. You know, you've, you've seen the U.S. They're, they're meeting with the IMF uh, coming here. I think it is going on today, um, if I'm not mistaken. And all this is kind of going around. And like Len said, they're, they're mentioning it. And I, I'm kind of taking the opposite stance of Len, where I think that they're going to start to try to regulate it because it's taking power out of it. And, you know, obviously the people are going to try to elect um, you know, or get people in power that are more friendly to Bitcoin and, you know, to a lesser extent, the other shit coins. But I mean, I think at the end of the day, like, I, I think we're starting to inch closer to the now we now they fight us stage. And I think that's going to be really interesting, especially for a lot of these companies that are starting to build, uh, you know, during this bear market. And I could see, you know, as soon as we start to hit the next bull market and it starts to run back up, there's going to be some serious regulations coming down. And that's just kind of, you know, what I'm, I'm me just kind of reading the tea leaves. Maybe I got my tinfoil hat on and I think, you know, uh, everybody, whenever things starts to go good, they're, they're going to start to come at us. But I mean, that's just kind of what I'm seeing. And I'm, you know, obviously this bill, I just saw a couple articles drop on it today. And so, you know, at least I came a little bit more prepared than Joey and, uh, than Joey here but I mean what do you guys think I'd be curious to hear what you guys think on on like the potential of regulation I know we spoke about it a little bit earlier but that was just Canada specific like I'm I'm starting to see signs of potential global kind of regulation or you know larger conglomerates come together and try to regulate Bitcoin isn't it true that Bitcoin benefits the most you know, not from Maller's announcements, not from uh, El Salvador state adoption level stuff, not even from Davy Day Trader telling his, you know, a million plus followers to buy it, but it benefits the most from irresponsible monetary policy at the state level. And so the state, you know, America specifically, I think, if, if we want to focus there first, the Bitcoin is, is, completely decentralized. There's no person controlling it. No one entity. Obviously we all know that. And so America has this adversary now that responds in kind to each monetary and fiscal policy mistake they make. And there's no avenue for recourse. None. They can try and push it offshore. They can try and ban mining or regulate the on and off ramps. But one of the things I said in the past, I'm curious if you guys agree with this, the U S dollar at the moment is you know, I, I know like people will say, well, DXY is, you know, whatever it is, 109 or 110. I'm not sure what it is these days, but you know, it's, it's showing strength. It's showing this, it's showing that. I would say not really. It's just the, the cleanest dirty shirt, like everyone says. Right. And I think that the USD and the, the US regime more broadly is at a point now where 
banning other stores of value, currencies, crypto or otherwise is more a sign of weakness than it is a sign of strength or something that they they'll be able to unite a majority of the population behind. And I think they're conscious of that for maybe the first time, given what's going on with the BRICS nations, given what's going on in the Eurozone, and given what's going on with uh, CBDCs um, and, and their rollout. You know, I don't want to say starting, but certainly those buds are starting to flower at least a little bit uh, abroad. Do you think that's the case? You think that, you know, Brandon, if, if they, if they, you know, if they are here to fight us, um, quote unquote, which I agree with you on, how's the fight look? It seems to me that almost everything they do would indicate weakness rather than strength. Yeah, I mean, but that's from a Bitcoiners perspective. Uh, I mean, if you look at the dollar, like you said, compared to the all other fiat currencies, it's ripping. And people read the headlines when it comes to Bitcoin. They see, like we said earlier, 69K now down to 20 or whatever it's floating around at right now. And that, that's just, you know, what they see. And that then they kind of write it off. It's a scam, you know, whatever. And then, of course, they'll FOMO into the next bull market when it starts to rip up again. And then, you know, when it crashes again, Bitcoin's dead. And it's kind of like the never ending cycle that's been Bitcoin for, you know, since it's the ban of existence. And I think you know, the now we fight a stage is like, all right, well, once they start to, you know, people start to try to FOMO in and uh, go in for for Bitcoin and they make it more difficult. They make it difficult on the coin bases. They make it difficult on the, you know, whatever app you want to use, the strikes even or cash app or whatever to regulate inside of the United States and other countries. You know, like at the end of the day, people think of, like maybe one place or two places that they could buy Bitcoin easily, right? I mean, if you ask the average American, you walk down the street, yeah, they have a Coinbase account um, or they have, you know, I don't know, not even like a BlockFi or something like that. They have something along these lines where it's, you know, one of the bigger players. And so they won't really have the, you know, wherewithal to figure out how to run a node or, you know, maybe even run a miner or get like find a way to get Bitcoin themselves. And I think that's just kind of where it will. I, I, of course, Bitcoin won't die or halt or anything like that. And people like true hardcore Bitcoiners will find a way to get it. And I just think it's going to be, it's, it's going to be really interesting too, because like at the end of the day, money talks, right. And we look at Bitcoin mining it's like a $15 billion industry. I want to say in 2021, and so the regulations around that, whether it's they try to hit it with FUD of ESG or what have you, um, you know, just getting these companies and people to try to uh, avoid buying this Bitcoin or, you know, cryptocurrencies or opt out of this the current financial system. I think it's going to get harder in the next couple of years. Um, you know, how successful these politicians are and how much resistance is met, you know, once they start to put in these regulations. I'm not really sure. I mean, I think we saw it, you know, in this recent, like the, the past couple of years, right? Some people are just going to concede to these regulations. And I don't really know what the, the true answer is, what the outlook's going to be. And I think it's, it makes for like an interesting conversation and kind of this mental game that I'm going through right now is like, how are these next two to four years going to look when, you know, they really start to lay the hammer down? Because I think as Bitcoiners, we've all kind of, theorize this right the then they fight us kind of stage but you know i th i think we're we're inching closer now than than we've ever been 
and uh, we're starting to see some of that in the tea leaves. Uh, yeah, I think, no, I think you're right. I think um, it's easy for us, you know, we all do content to kind of sit here and be just prognostic baiters uh, and talk about what we think is going to happen in the next like f- two years, five years. I don't know, Len, SB, what do you, what do you guys think? Uh, Brandon's presented us a thesis. I think it's coherent and I'd like to hear your thoughts. Well, in terms of new regulations that may be brought down on us, I could use Canada as the guiding light here because this is what I what I do know is that over here, all the big and major exchanges, they all follow some regulations that's been imposed on them. And I'm wondering if the same thing has happened in the United States. I know Coinbase must follow something, but I'm not sure about the other big ones. So I don't think that's going to be something that's going to be really just de- detrimental to the whole industry or it's going to torpedo it and sink it altogether. It's just, it's another step in the evolution of how the authorities want to impose their will on the exchanges. And that is what it is. And I- I'm wondering too, then for people that are just not used to this and they're going to be entering into the world of regulated exchanges and other sort of regulations, I'm wondering how much of um, how much mixing services are going to play moving forward. And then What's the reaction behind that too? We just saw not too long ago, the United States, they banned tornado cash because, well, we don't want to ha- rehash that. But so I'm wondering if the same thing might happen moving forward with Bitcoin mixing services. And I know here in Canada, we have KYC Bitcoin for the most part from our big exchanges. And I, you know, it's, it is something that a lot of people have been saying that is the real devil moving forward because they do know how much Bitcoin every individual has should they do enough investigation into the information that they do have. So the on-ramps and off-ramps, as Joey said, that's the real big attack vectors because once they make it harder or it perceived to be harder to buy Bitcoin, it's going to be more difficult then to get more people on board. So just an attack against the onboard and offboarding ramps. That's that's the biggest problem I see moving forward with Bitcoin. And yeah, I mean, there are you'll, you'll have these politicians that are pro and against Bitcoin. That is what it is, and there's nothing you can do around that. In, in fact, you know, not too long ago, um, we had some which was a Binance that was kicked out of Canada, and yeah. this was a result of you know a lot of rug pulling and just, so we, they got rid of Binance, right? So they you know it. it see them actually re- react and say we had enough of this particular exchange get the hell out of here and you know they could basically you know you have to go to the next exchange next exchange which is highly regulated and what's going to happen are, are people going to start mining bitcoin at home using s9 as space heaters as a way to get around it or using decentralized exchanges i do not know it's just something that is you know is something to be uh to left to be seen moving forward but one thing is for certain is you know as they try to impose some sort of regulation on it. It's to try to make their currencies still relevant. And there's there's a lot of control when you have the control of the money situation. It's an enormously powerful tool. And we've seen a US dollar weaponized many different times. And the US dollar, I know it's been mentioned just a little while ago, it's doing well against other currencies too. And I talked about this at length. Safedine talked about it, wrote about it in his book, The Fiat Standard. This is just playing out the way it is should be playing out. As currencies fail, and they're all derivatives of the US dollar, all the, the wealth then gets sent to the US dollar because it's the last place that you could put your money in and have some 
relative confidence that there's going to be wealth moving forward, but ultimately it will still fail because there's nothing backing it. And who knows how much is going to be created tomorrow due to the political whims of the White House and what's going on with the Federal Reserve. So, and even when they do any sort of moves to the Federal Reserves, one thing the Federal Reserve does, one thing to note is it's also putting a lot of pressure worldwide. You look at all these other central banks worldwide, they're all like capitulating right now. And you even have United Nations coming in and saying like they got to do something. That's, that's a, a roundabout way of saying, but anyways, to go back, I, I do think that there it will be more regulation coming in. It does not make me bearish in any way, shape or form. It's just another step in the evolutionary process. Let it happen. No problems. We will find ways around it and we will make use of Bitcoin. No issues here. Yeah, I've got Very strong. I've got three three main thoughts. So first I want to go to Joey's original point. I do think banning means that we're winning. Now, I'm not going to say that it wouldn't be a, sh a short-term or even medium-term setback, but if these countries determine that they need to ban Bitcoin, something something drastically changed. Their their currency is failing. They can't finance what they want to finance, and that means Bitcoin's doing a great job. So number one, I think number two, and this is why I am, you know, a lot. I'm very bullish long term, even if the U.S. has a period of being very anti-Bitcoin. This is worldwide. The genie's out of the bottle, and you're really going to tell me that you can get 190 countries worldwide to agree on something? Absolutely not. So of course, everyone knows El Salvador and Latam. People know Africa. Jack uh, of Twitter is always hyping up the fact that he's trying to promote Bitcoin there. Um, let's talk about Russia in, in energy. Let's talk even about China with, with bootstrapping the network, basically. How much, how much Bitcoin in reserves does China have right now? How much mining is still going on there? Let's even talk North Korea. I mean, you're, we're talking here about a coordination of countries that hate each other and that are wanting to go to war with each other. Um, we're going to, we're going to coordinate to ban Bitcoin. I don't think so. So that's my, my number two point. And then number three. So if someone mentioned Coinbase and, you know, I, I, I work with this stuff and, you know, Coinbase is a legitimate company. So is MicroStrategy. So are these mining companies. I listened to your guys' interview with the CleanSpark uh, uh, executive chairman, I think recently. I mean, this is, if you go into their SEC filings, um, these are legit companies. They're reporting balance sheets, cash flow. They're, they have to give quarterly earnings. They have to give guidance. They have earnings calls. I mean, this is, you can't do, you can't be a company with, with the product that the SEC determines is, a, is like a fake product. And I would even say, like, let's even forget about um, the Bitcoin miners for, for a second. Yes, Coinbase is under SEC investigation, I believe, for, you know, maybe a variety of things. Coinbase is a shitcoin casino. Right now, a shitcoin casino is able to be publicly traded on um, the NASDAQ or whatever exchange it's on. We are trading a shitcoin casino. It's 20% Bitcoin uh, transactions. It's 80% shitcoins. So if you're telling me that the, you know, Gensler, maybe he's very anti-shitcoin. I don't know. Coinbase is still trading. So, it, so you're, you're going to have to get you know, shift completely to the other side of the pendulum to say we're, we're going to, I don't know, bankrupt Coinbase, not let it survive. Um, and yeah, there's ESG angles maybe, and maybe that forces Bitcoin mining 
at least in the US and maybe Canada into maybe a little bit too ESG friendly. Although I think the miners are, are working towards hopefully finding solutions there and working with the governments. But m- maybe you could sell me on some of that happening or, um, you know, BlackRock and Vanguard making a fuss. But BlackRock and Vanguard, you know what they own? They own MicroStrategy, they own Marathon Digital, they own CleanSpark, they own all these motherfuckers, all right? So don't you dare tell me that the Black Rocks of the world who are basically running Biden's treasury are going to lose a substantial amount of money when Bitcoin's banned in the US. It's not going to happen. Maybe that would be a slower process, but it's not going to happen immediately. And especially with Fidelity, I mean, all these big names... It's gone too far now where you can't put the hammer down. You can do things around the edges to hurt adoption and to maybe do more KYC and to, to, make, to maybe take the price down a little bit. I mean, I, I would think all of us would probably agree if there was a Bitcoin ETF, the price would be a lot higher because it'd just be so easy to funnel that retirement money that I talked about into Bitcoin. So I totally understand that and I get that. And yeah, there's that worst case scenario where they cut off the exchanges and then all of a sudden... Uh, you know, you can't get the Bitcoin that you wanted to get, but that would be the US. That would be maybe some of the European allies. It would not be the rest of the world. So certainly, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that I'm going to be um, planning on Bitcoin going from 20K to 5K. But if it did, it, would I still believe in it if, if nothing drastically changed? Of, of course. So that's why I think, you know, you can look at Bitcoin and you can have all these risk factors for why it won't work. You can also take a step back and say it's very young. Um, it, chain doesn't happen overnight. It's worth a hell of a lot of money right now, way more than Paul Krugman thought in 2011. And you know we can ha- we can have a longer term view here than you know the ins and outs of every day. Who's the worst, Paul? You think Pelosi or Krugman? <laughs> I hate Paul Krugman, so I I'm biased <laughs> to say Krugman be- because he's the fiat elite. You know I. I'm the terminal elite, but that's because I'm working inside the system. Paul Krugman, you know, he is the epitome of the fiatter that he was an economist studying nonsense, studying stupid stuff where you know, I majored in economics in college. I saw this stuff. I come in freshman year and I have to draw these stupid graphs that don't make sense. I thought for the first year or two that I was the, I was the dumb one saying, why don't, why don't I get this? Safety and specifically talked about this exact situation in his book where smart people don't get these stupid, dumb macro graphs. <laughs> so it doesn't work. The economy is not something that you can put into an econometric model and spit out exactly what we need. I can't believe they haven't admitted that yet because according to their logic, you would never be able to have a recession, high inflation. And of course, we have that. So yeah, this whole fiat uh, rule of thinking People other than us, they don't even need to know that it's fiat. They just need to know that something's wrong and they're going to investigate and some of them are going to come out the other side of Bitcoin maxis. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all, all what you guys said, uh, both SB and Len. Like, I, I think you guys are, are nailing it on the head. I, and I, I don't think that it affects it long term, right? I think at the end of the day, it's exactly like we all think. I mean, if I honestly thought that Bitcoin would be dead in two to four years because of all this regulation like what the fuck am i doing i got a podcast on it like all this stuff so i mean obviously i i think that it's going to be okay long term it's just i think you know it it will be very 
I don't know. I it, like I the, the things that I think about are like like Glenn said, the mixing services, uh, maybe like a Moon Wallet. Maybe maybe the SEC comes at Apple for having Moon Wallet on their Apple Store, right? You can't download it on your phone because it's non KYC. Um, just like little hurdles like this that make it, you know, essentially make Bitcoin almost like every single sat that somebody purchases has some sort of KYC attached to it at the end of the day. And so it's not just that whole decentralized, you know, uh, potentially anonymous, um, you know, great, you know, thing that we, that we all know and love. It's something that's a little bit more controlled. I mean, I had somebody on last night that uh, on my spaces that I do on Tuesday nights, uh, who's actually from Russia, who is, it's pretty interesting. His thought was, is like, all right, so Russia's um, trying to get Bitcoin or just passed a law, I believe, that to allow Bitcoin for international trade. And they have so much of natural resources there that they're trying to capture more of this Bitcoin mining space. And, you know, with the war in Ukraine right now, there's a, a silo that could potentially, I guess, invade Kazakhstan is what this guy's theory was. And Kazakhstan has a ton of Bitcoin miners that move from China to Kazakhstan. So essentially, it would be Russia's attempt to kind of go and obtain all this mining and essentially kind of try to control the network, so to speak. And I think like, you know, as crazy and out there as that sounds, it doesn't really sound like too out there of a theory for me that some country is going to try to gain control, whether it's, you know, fully regulating all Bitcoin mining or just putting government funding towards it to try to control most of the network, maybe the 51% attack or something along those lines. Obviously, it would be a ton of money and a ton of, you know, cost or something like that. But, you know, it's just this kind of, I, I guess, mental gymnastics game that I'm playing in my head right now of like all the things that these uh, countries can try to pull together to try to control the network because I agree with USB. I don't think like all these countries are going to band together, but I think all these governments do love power more than they love their people. And I think at the end of the day, they're going to try to find a way to control that. And if that means, you know, shaking your hand with an enemy here or there, I wouldn't be surprised if that actually happens. The enemy of your enemy is uh, your friend, right? As, as the saying goes, SP, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And I think clearly this the, the nuclear option and what I'm most concerned about is the U.S. simply banning uh, exchanges from selling Bitcoin in the U.S. Again, I will go back to point one. If, if they do that, something drastically has changed where the U.S. is on its heels. And look, it, it, could, it could even be what if China invades Taiwan, uh, takes Taiwan, and all of a sudden the U.S. empire... I mean, the U.S. empire is a lot like fiat right now. It's kind of a confidence game. The U.S. empire could collapse overnight. I mean, I, I maybe that's hyperbole, but we we spend all this money on the military, but yet we're losing to guys in caves with the Taliban. So we're a paper tiger. We're we're well past time to give up uh, the the world stage. I mean, you guys are our little brother, but you're you know you have the same you're the same with us. The U.S. collapses. They could lash out, they could get aggressive, and they could start doing some very strange things, some very wonky things, to, to use a Bill Simmons phrase, and it could get weird. And, I, and, and I'm, not, um, I'm not opposed to that potentially happening. But at the same time, I think it would be irresponsible for any of us here, any of us listening, to 
not be increasingly allocating money towards Bitcoin in, in the chance that in the hope that and the likelihood that this is that global sound money, people are going toward it. It's going to, you know, gold demonetize silver, demonetize seashells, you know, Bitcoin's demonetizing fiat. And it's going to take a little bit and there's going to be bumps and bruises along the way. But, you know, either, you know, people have said this on Bitcoin Twitter and I, and I agree, like I'm, I'm ride or die. If Bitcoin works and we succeed, fantastic. If Bitcoin doesn't work, we're in late stage fiat and there's a, a rough <laughs> several decades ahead of us. It's so true, man. Like, I think one of the things well, I'll, I'll wrap this up here and then we'll, we'll do the, uh, the outros, final comments. But the one, the one thing I think everyone agrees on, Bitcoin bull, Bitcoin bear, macro bull, macro bear, whatever, is that the fact that people our age, you know, I think, Brandon, you're the youngest. You may be 28. Len, you're in your 40s. I don't know exactly how old. The fact that that wide a gap, you know, that, that wide a, a swath of people are willing to park a significant chunk of their net worth in something that's compared to everything else unproven. Uh, has a very uncertain future and uh, at the moment has really no regu regulatory clarity, very clearly in the crosshairs of most modern governments. This opt-out attitude tells you at least one thing that everyone can agree on, and it's that the system that we're playing in is breaking and it's pushing people away to anything else. Some people, unfortunately, we've seen in the last little while turn to drugs, alcohol, other vices, but I like sound money. I think the memes are better here than on uh, drug addict Twitter probably. And uh, I plan on staying. So uh, we're going to wrap up here. It's a good thing I didn't have a topic because I have to go for dinner at six anyway. So why don't we uh, go to uh, USB? You can tell people uh, where they can find you, et cetera, et cetera, all those good things. Yeah. So we are at, um, at the woke antidote on Twitter. Uh, it's the same as my, my name here. And yeah, I mean, we, we haven't recorded a pod in a little bit. Uh, my co-host TV has had some life events and positive life events and, uh, we'll get back at it, but we, we just like taking what America is showing us, um, because every day there's just something new, um, or at least several things, something new that's just outrageous. And anyone with a common sense mind knows it's, it, it, it's completely BS. And we just talk about that stuff and, we have fun, but we also want to want to tackle serious issues. And one of the ones we talk about a lot in the pod is the economy and Bitcoin. So I really appreciate you having me here today because these are these are very serious issues. And you know, as if we can educate anyone listening, um, you know, a better a better way to think about their money and their investments. That's fantastic. So um, yeah, thanks thanks for uh, having me, and definitely check out the woke antidote. Uh, I think uh, we have a lot of fun on that show. 100%, man. Can't recommend the program enough. And thank you for coming on, sir. Brandon, uh, your turn, brother. Where can people find you? What are you about? Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, I'll second that. Check out the Woke Antidote podcast. They do great stuff on there and they keep it light too. So uh, although they talk about a lot about serious issues, it's a great, great program. Uh, but yeah, at Green Candle IT on Twitter, I got the State of Bitcoin podcast. I had D from CoinKite, a fellow Canadian, probably the most well-known Canadian Bitcoiner there is. <laughs> uh, he was on my latest episode. So be sure to tune in and, and give him a listen. And uh, yeah, he brings his knowledge and everything like that. And then Macro Insights podcast as well. Um, I had a uh, somebody that works at the World Bank uh, who's been on my spaces and things like that. Uh, so it's more of a geopolitical lens on that one. Uh, so pretty interesting kind of figure out what's all going on from the World Bank perspective. And then, uh, yeah, uh, lastly, just 
like I mentioned at the beginning of the program, if you have something to donate, um, I know we put it in the chat, but the uh, Hurricane Ian Relief Fund, um, if you guys have something to donate, it's a cause that's very close to my heart and very close to my home. So uh, if you guys have something to donate, please, please, please consider uh, the Hurricane Ian Relief Fund. Uh, you know, I sent it to Joey and we can, uh, you know, put that in the chat show notes and what have you. Um, but, you know, if, I'm sure if you just Google around too, you can find another viable source as well. So uh, no affiliation or anything like that. But uh, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate these talks with the chat and uh, getting to share a beer with you fellas virtually. Buddy, for sure. Len, uh, should we sign off too? Do we have to do that or no? I don't know. <laughs> you can you nah. can find us here. You can find us here. Yeah. Uh, Just open your eyes. <laughs> this show uh, this show will be on this audio feed. Brandon's audio feed over at Green Candle. Well, I don't know if you want it. You can have it too if you want. And uh, I say we should make this a quarterly thing. I don't know why we don't do this quarterly, but we should do this quarterly. What do you guys say? Yeah, I mean, we had it. What it was a couple months ago. With- yeah, probably about last quarter. Yeah, we had a bad host the last time, though. I think yeah, significantly this time around. Hey, take it, take it easy. I mean, at least I came prepared on mine. I don't know about you guys. Uh, you know, we got Joey over here telling us to bring something, just bring something to talk about, and then he doesn't bring anything. If we were smart, we would do this at night, maybe not Friday night, because we like Ben over at BTC Sessions, but we would do this at night, like at seven o'clock, you know, and try and pull some people in. SB, uh, you unmuted there. You want to make a comment here before we sign off? Well, well, my comment was uh, we need this again because I got to roast you for the El Salvador debt take. They're paying <laughs> down their debt. They're not going to default. I mean, this I guy, <laughs> this guy's crushing it. We got a Bukele doubter over here. I'm going to call you Joey Krugman for hating that. Joey Hankey, <laughs> Steve Hankey. I mean, man, so we, we must have this again. A disaster. Uh, yeah, we will. We'll do it again for sure. Okay, thanks everyone for listening. Chat was popping. Really appreciate that. I know people like making dinner, etc. So that's dope. We will talk to you guys uh, very soon. Come back tomorrow. We got Mike Campbell on the show. Uh, take care. Way to go. Good job, fellas. Well done.